You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 469 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Mr. Seth Miller and special guest Ed Pizzarello. And he's from Miles to Go, the Miles to Go podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on, Ed, filling in for, for Foz. Happy to uh, happy to come on and and just you know reiterate that there's no way this is actually episode 469. It, it is, yes, it is for sure. I think, <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> trying to figure out how he's going to fill Foz's shoes. Does What's he know a lot about engines? <laughs> I don't, uh, but but I but I figure I've got a pretty good shot if I just whenever you mention an engine, if I say that it's crap, I feel like I've got a reasonable shot of being Foz. <laughs> oh man. Um... I'm a little under the weather, so I might let you guys lead a little bit on the sh- on the show and yeah, stay quiet. But uh, let's talk about the uh, 737 Max Seven and their de-icing exemption and certification delay. Yeah, so this is we'll say fallout from the Max Nine door plug incident. Um, although it's not entirely clear what was going to happen even before. Back in October November timeframe, Boeing applied for an exemption that would allow them to deliver the Max Seven certified with we'll say a flaw uh, in the engine anti-icing nacelle, the little disc at the front of the engine. Yep. Right? So the idea was that much like the current Max 8 and Max 9s, there's a problem with that, that in certain icing scenarios, I think ice builds up and they don't, you have to, you can only run it for like five minutes at a time or something, then you have to turn it off, which lets ice build back up. But if you don't do that, there's other problems. Uh, And so Boeing basically asked to be allowed to certify the Max 7 and presumably was also going to be asked to be allowed to certify the Max 10 with the same exemption that the 8 and 9 have. And it raised a question of should an airline or should an aircraft manufacturer be allowed to develop a new aircraft and have it certified knowing that it is flawed? I don't want to say broken necessarily, but it's got issues. And there was a lot of uh, debate about that in many ways. Boeing's position was this is normal. We do it. Yeah. The FAA has done this all the time, or the DOT has done this all the time. It's not that big a deal. We put into the guidelines, you know, sort of instructions on how to use it safely, so it's not really a flight safety issue, but we understand that it needs to get better. Uh, as of early January, when the issue happened, a whole bunch of people were like, hey, yeah, we're not going to let you develop and deploy planes that are broken anymore. So be thinking about that, but uh, Congress basically told Boeing executives, we're going to imply incredible pressure on the DOT and FAA to make sure that doesn't happen. So you may want to you know, save a little face to withdraw the request. Boeing did withdraw the request, but the f- net impact of that is their engineering team needs probably, they say, a year or so to get the new one built and installed and certified. So the idea that maybe there'd be some Max 7s certified and flying at the end of 2024 now seems to have uh, evaporated. Blown out a door plug on the Max side. Ouch. Yeah. So I, I'm torn on this one. I like cool that they're not going to have it on the seven or the ten, but they are still letting the eights and nines fly. Right. Well, and I think you know it, it's ho- so hard to tell with stuff like this. I mean, how how serious and how often something like this could impact a flight. I mean, right. Um, I won't remember the flight number. I'm sure you will, but um, the Air France crash. Call it 10, 15 years ago. Um, four, four, three, four, seven, four, yeah, see, I knew you guys would know that. But yeah. the that was pitot tubes, and it was like at the time, as I recall, like there was some general knowledge that that sort of stuff could happen, but it was sort of like, well, you know, like the chances are fairly low, and you know, then a plane crashed, killing everybody on board, and 
you know, it, like this is a known issue with a newer plane design where, and again, to like you said, I think I'm very torn. I really don't have a big issue with them uh, holding off on certification of newer planes for right. this. Um, I'm hesitant on on the the, the current variants they're flying, the eight and the nine, only because um, it, at least from the little bit of reading I've done on this, it does seem to be isolated in terms of the conditions where this could happen. Um, but that's a, I mean, I, I think that's what I think that's what we said about Air France four forty seven. Yeah, yeah. The chances yeah. of your cat killing you in your sleep are very low, but never zero. That's... Where the heck did that come from? I don't have a cat, so my chances <laughs> have to be lower than yours. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, in general, you know, something like this happening is very low, but it's never yeah. zero. Yeah. Um, All right. So I, cat listeners now no longer subscribe to our podcast. Our just, we're just trying to we're just trying to get rid of people. That's all. Um, but by not going back and looking at the the nines and the eights, is it? Is it setting a bad precedent or are we like correcting the ship here? Well, and that's sort of where I get a little, again, torn. Um, they will, once this new design is engineered and working, they will retrofit the old planes. The current exemption for the eights and nines is temporary. Okay. Um, and this is, again, something the, that happens a lot with airworthiness directives, the official guidance from the FAA or EASA or whoever that requires changes to be made to airplanes. Like typically there's a, hey, these are broken you get X number of months to fix it. Right. And it's all right. Like the engines, there's, we, we talk about the Pratt Windy engines. They need to replace various portions of the innards. And that's why all these planes are grounded because Pratt and Whitney can't make enough spare replacement parts fast enough to, uh, deliver to new or deliver for repairs. But we let the broken ones to an extent still fly. Obviously, in the case of the Pratt Whitney, some of them are grounded based on they've been used too much and like you hit a limit and then you're done until you can get it fixed. And so right, I, I get it. Um, and I don't, you know, to your point of, you know, there's levels of risk. I don't think it's reasonable to ground every airplane in the world every time anything is wrong with it. Uh, there's another one that came up the other day of like a lavatory can have a leak in the floor of it, like where the pipes all meet up of, because right, the lavatory is sort of an insert. Yep. Right. right. Module that goes into the plane and like the piping underneath is fixed positioning sort of. So the, the, the joint there can have a leak and on some planes in some configurations that leak is directly over an electronics bay. And so you can literally be going to the bathroom on a plane and short circuiting it. Um, if the leak is in the, you know, wrong position, that sounds dangerous. But they're also like, and the the DOT just came out with this final airworthiness directive on this. They're not grounding every plane because of that, but they are saying, hey, check them all. And I give them credit to the DOT in this case. Air, some airlines were like, oh, we don't have bathrooms at all the locations that are a problem. We only have them at some locations, so we shouldn't have to do this as quickly. And that hey, our DOT was like, nope, you got to do it. Um, so I feel like the DOT is maybe getting a little more aggressive on some of this stuff. But it, there's a longstanding tradition of it's okay because it's not an immediate planes are going to fall out of the sky situation hmm. all the time. So I don't know. It's I, I'm not entirely uh, I, I'm not against. I don't think you have to ground the entire fleet every time anything happens, as long as you can demonstrate that likelihood of risk and ability to recover are sufficient in the right directions. But it's it's a delicate balancing act, to say the least. Yeah, it is a delicate balancing act. And I would imagine, even though you said Boeing said that they probably need up to another year to, to fix this, you know, in the current climate where 
as you say, like some of this pressure coming from, you know, Congress or regulators, whoever, I mean, is this also going to be another example where my personal opinion is that when as like the, the, the crashes that the max went through, uh, you know, previously were horrific and, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the situation was a scary one from a certification standpoint. That being said, it still felt like it took a lot longer than I would have expected to sign off on the certification to put them back in the air. Um, and I do wonder here if it's like, okay, well, the government needs to show people that they're really the boss. And so Boeing comes out with a fix in a year and the FAA takes another year to certify it. There, there's a very real risk of that. Full disclosure, I, I probably should have said this earlier. I am long Boeing, so I don't want to. I don't want to be biased. I am a shareholder. I bought more while the price went down when the door blew off Alaska. But I think, I mean, just like you talk, we talk about Seth when you were on my show a couple weeks ago. You know how long it took for um, the DOJ to to come out against the JetBlue Spirit merger. Like it's just so hard for these companies to function when the regulators take forever to give them replies. Yeah, and speaking of that, just as a quick aside, the appeal date has been set for the hearing. It's in June. So they got to wait another four months. <laughs> they were busy between now and then. Yeah, the courts were not willing to expedite it further. Spring break. Do they um do they know that these airlines don't have a lot of money? Just wondering, asking for a friend. Uh, no, because well, they quite anyway. The ruling did address that at one point, but in a silly way. So yeah, we understand you might go broke, but you still have to wait. And oh, by the way, we often allow companies going broke to be bought out by a competitor because we like keeping the capacity in the market, but not in this case. Super weird one. Anyway. Um, Santa Rosa? Santa Rosa base for Avello. This is a change. So Avello, smaller startup airline, uh, flies 737s in secondary markets around the country. A couple of things about them came up in the past week. One, they've established a full year of service at Wilmington, Delaware. Gotta get that one. I gotta get that line. I I have some opportunities for you. Oh, wait. (laughs) Okay, it was just one. remember it bailed on me for the inaugurals on those flights a year ago, so I felt compelled to bring it up today. It was one flight. It was one flight that I bailed. Right, the one with me. But you said flights, plural. Like, if we're going to talk about my malfeasance, at least let's be accurate at the number of times of malfeasance. (laughs) Okay. There's a subway ride, too. I count that. Uh, (laughs) Silver. It was my first ride on the Silver Line, also. Anyway, (laughs) um, that's... Pretty cool. They actually their numbers seem pretty good on that. They said they're averaging about 135 passengers per flight on those flights, which based on their aircraft size is decent. Um, I don't know what yields are, but good for them. But the other interesting thing they came up with is they're got a base two planes in Santa Rosa now, which is Bay Area, Wine Country, Sonoma County, Charles M. Schultz Airport. A lot of uh, Snoopy floating around. It's pretty cool. Um, yep. Yep. What I found interesting about the announcement is usually when a base is established, there's a plan for route expansion that comes with it. And in this case, the release does not mention routes. It only mentions, or it doesn't mention new routes. They currently serve four routes, uh, Redmond, Oregon, Las Vegas, Burbank, and Palm Springs. And Burbank is six days a week. Palm Springs is four. Las Vegas is four. And Redmond is twice. So it's hard to see why they really need a base there. If that's their plan, um, I would assume that they're going to increase capacity, but not having that as part of the announcement was a little surprising to me. I thought some, and I, I thought at one point somebody else had tried to base out of Santa Rosa. I remember United used to fly it, but I thought somebody else was trying to base out of that area. Not a uh, aha, but yeah, the only other one I could think that might have tried like that, something like that would have been Horizon. I knew flew through there because I think yeah. 
that's how I got that dot the first time as I flew LA to Santa Rosa to Portland. Yeah, I mean, Alaska Horizon has Burbank, Los Angeles, Orange County, Portland, San Diego, and SeaTac. Yeah. So, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't know about a base, but either way, it's, I, you know, good luck to them. I hope they were able to grow it. The airport just built a brand new terminal or expanded and renovated. Hmm. Oh. The, when I passed through last time, it was like a tent that wasn't very nice. It was pretty good for temporary, but it yeah. wasn't. And I will say the tent actually was better than the first time I went through when it was basically a trailer. So I, I, I enjoyed my, um, vending machine snacks. So yeah, you, you, you mean, we, we were there at the same time. I think you were on an earlier flight out. The music, yep. You had the tent also, right? Yep. Yeah. It was a giant tent. <laughs> I, I think it, Santa Rosa is interesting to me because, um, there's definitely a lot of wealth up there in, in wine country, but. Um, but a lot of those folks have private planes. And so you've also got a fairly heavy um, Hispanic population. Um, you know, a lot of the workers in the vineyards and the wineries are Hispanic. And so um, I could definitely see the need for, say, like a Southern California route, um, you know, if they've got, you know, family elsewhere in California. I don't think that demographic is going to pop rings. Um, so like, I don't know if there's enough people to support some of these routes. But, I mean, there's certainly the people up there. It's just, it's sort of like, if you have enough money to have discretionary travel and you live in Santa Rosa, you probably have access to your own plane too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say when we did the trip and this is what, four years ago, Stephen, three years ago, we did it yeah. like late yeah. 21. It was 21 or 20. I don't remember. I think it was 21. I think. Yeah. So it was part of, we did it at, at sort of post dork fest. A few of us went mm. up wine tasting for the day. Um, and on my flight back, I, was sitting next to uh, or in the vicinity of a bunch of people who were talking and various this and that. And it was like people who were going to visit kids for the, who are in college for the weekend um, and like other interesting things like that, like parents going down to visit because it was cheap and easy um, and stuff like that. So there, there was an interesting mix of people headed back down to Burbank for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, hopefully they get some growth there. Hopefully they, uh, add some new routes. It'll be interesting to see how much that is inbound for Santa Rosa, or, you know, originating in Santa Rosa versus outbound tourism is the other question. Yeah, there'd be, there's definitely going to be inbound tourism for sure. Um, yeah. It's a it's a great jumping off spot for the wine valleys. Um, and those, you know, those folks will have money to, you know, to yeah. pay to fly to fly in on on whoever. But it's all, uh, another another dot I'm jealous of both of you on. Yeah. Um, hey, you can come oh. get Salem, Ed. Salem, Oregon. I'm trying to think if I have Salem. I have. Um... There's no way you have it because it hasn't had commercial service till Lavello showed up. Okay. Well, then I yeah, then I don't. I, I flew into something other than Portland at one point. Unless it was your, unless you got it on your Gulfstream or something, you know. On my Gulfstream, like you feel like I've got one sitting somewhere. I take one <laughs> Gulfstream ride, all of a sudden I I have a Gulfstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually how it works. Actually, you do something <laughs> and you've done it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Austrian is going to start flying to Boston, so I'm super keen on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, on their old ass seven six threes, which I could be annoyed about, except in coach, it's still probably the best option to have across the Atlantic. Yep. Um, starting Vienna's in July, the, what's that? Vienna's not the worst airport. Vienna's not the worst airport to connect it. No, no, it's not not too bad. It's yeah. and it's actually pretty convenient to downtown. Nice train options. Yep. Um, I have a buddy there uh, who I should visit more often, so that's great. Uh, the schedule is interesting. It starts in July, so missing the first half of the sort of summer rush. Which yeah, why that? Because I need to go across the Atlantic earlier in the year and I won't be able to use this, but, um, daily service except Thursday and Tuesdays are only every other week. Uh, that's weird. And I just want to meet the person who decided, like did the math and like, yeah, this is the right schedule to pick. This is, this is like Viennese, uh, culture to a T. 
Yeah. Or open every day except when the moon is high. Uh, yeah. Um, it's it's a very interesting schedule. That every other week on Tuesdays thing is weird. I'm also surprised Tuesday needs service more than Thursday. I wonder where yeah. they're rotating the plane from. Yeah, cause you're right. Cause like, what are they using it every other Tuesday for? Yeah, um, I can try to see if I got uh, details somewhere else. They're flying their seven sixes in July. I'll pull that up while we're talking here. But um, I am excited for it. Uh, getting to go to Europe more, you know, just what I need. Uh, we'll have to see <laughs> what award space shows up. That's actually the real question. Yeah, the only thing I did love about this, assuming I saw the right flight times, it, it, is it leaves at something like 5 o'clock, right? It's a 5.30 p.m. out of Boston, and it's a 10.20 a.m. out of Vienna, so it's early both ways. Yeah, I mean... Is that land in Vienna, then? Like 6 a.m., 7 a.m.? Oh, God. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I mean, you're like, and that's... If I do the, if I do the math, it's probably, what, an eight-hour flight? It's longer than you think. It's it's like nine, I think, but uh, hang on, I'm pulling it back up. Lands at 7.25 a.m. Leaves 5.10, lands 7.25. And in the summer, it's going to land early, guaranteed. In the winter, winter's got better winds. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I think it just lands early, no matter what. Yeah. But, um, and so westbound, like, yeah, ten forty to one fifty. The westbound I actually don't hate. Ten forty is a little early, but there'll oh, be a fine. connecting yeah. bank, and like that means I can catch the two o'clock bus home. I can be home and like shower, and then go to dinner or then have dinner. Yeah, but like five ten p.m. I mean, what, like let's be honest. Like, what's the earliest you're really falling asleep on at nine o'clock? Depends on what drugs you use. I mean, never for me, depending on what drugs I use, if I don't have drugs. Right. Right. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I could see I, I, for me. Yeah. If I'm not taking something, which I don't normally, I mean, like maybe I fall asleep at 10 and get like a quality three hours, yeah. two hours, two hours. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I do, you know, like I've, I've flown Austrian a handful of times. I do think that they run a pretty darn good airline. So I'd be, I'd be happy to fly it. But, um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they couldn't, have, they couldn't have done like a 7 PM. That's a, that's a rough, that's a rough arrival it into is. Europe. That's a that's a that's a go to sleep in your hotel room for three hours and mess up your body clock sort of arrival. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, this isn't. Yeah, it's not gonna be fun. Yeah, the seven six sevens will fly to Boston, Dulles, and Montreal. And are they just? I mean, I guess yeah, daily on Montreal and Dulles, so they may just be truly using demand based theory of we don't need it every day and we need sort of like flexible sparing kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean. I haven't spent a bunch of time looking at Vienna's schedule in Europe to be to be clear, but I mean, I don't see that there would be a ton of disadvantages for them if this flight took off later than 10:40 a.m. Although maybe they're building it that way because they want to be able to catch a block of flights out of Boston. Um, I would bet that it's partly the onward connections at 7:10 when you land, like the 9 a.m. bank departing Vienna. Got it. Okay. Um, but also, Boston is pretty full. So I'm not sure they could get gate space at a better time in the international yeah, terminal. Yeah, no, that's fair. It, it certainly it certainly does feel a bit problematic from a timing standpoint. And you're right; I'm sure it does tie in nicely with the the outbound bank of flights in the morning. I would imagine a 10:40 a.m. departure doesn't allow for a lot of arrivals in from um, you know other cities that via yeah. services. Yeah. In Basically, only where Elviet, where Austrian has a RON, where a plane sits at the destination overnight. Right. So there would be some of those. I don't know where they are, but there'll be some. I, I don't know how to query that in Syrian. So and not to not to create the natural podcast segue, but I don't believe Vienna has preclearance, right? Correct. So you're if you're you know, um, well it's it's Schengen, so it's in theory yeah. like a nine. If you if you took off from like I said one of those destinations at seven something and got to Vienna, you know nine or nine thirty, you could still make a ten forty. So I, yeah, I, yeah. There, yeah. I imagine uh, minimum connect time there is very low, similar to Munich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay. So I mean, like two hours is probably enough to get from most of the places that Austrian serves out of Vienna in the morning. Yeah. 
I think it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, We'll talk pre-clearance later. That's in the uh, bonus episode. So. Okay, so bad podcaster segue. Good. Yeah, it's okay. I, I changed the sequence around after I gave you the list. Uh, bad podcast. That's, I mean, I think the weirdest thing is it starts in July. Like, they're missing right. all of that early summer rush. That's yeah. that's strange. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, DFW. Uh, long haul. Getting a bunch of new flights, or a few new flights. Americans added three new long-haul destinations for the coming year, later this year. Uh, Brisbane, Rio, which I was surprised didn't exist yet, and Kona. Huh, I didn't realize Rio didn't exist either. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't... Yeah, there's a ton of... I mean, there's a ton of places they just didn't have long-haul aircraft for, quite frankly. Yeah. And that's why they That's why they need all these... That's mostly 787s. Maybe yeah. not most. That might be all. But a lot of these... Uh, these are these are the, their ability to expand as opposed to just replacement frames. Yeah. Um, so Rio and Kona are going to be 788s. Brisbane's going to be a 789. Brisbane will be the new longest route in Americans' network. Possibly the longest route they've ever operated. So uh, have fun with that. There's an interesting uh, bit Ned Russell shared uh, from his prior conversations with DFW authorities, not the air, not American, but actually the airport authorities about because uh, Qantas used to have the 380 into Sydney from yeah. Dallas. And they want And as they returned, as things are ramping back up, they're only bringing the 789 to Sydney. And, you know, the question comes, you know, would you for the airport, would you prefer the 380 or these smaller planes? But, you know, more direct flights and apparently the airport says uh long fin is better than big fat <laughs> mm. um do you, do you guys i mean i, I know seek guru isn't nearly as updated as it used to be do you guys consider aerolopa to be fairly accurate yeah. for sea maps yeah. so aerolopa says a 788 is 20 seats in j uh 28 in premium economy and then uh 186 in uh coach so okay. i'm just thinking about that for kona um like I know Hawaiian uh, Hawaii is like unlimited demand, um, but twenty premium seats a day into Kona seems like a good route to stock for a word inventory. <laughs> yeah, um, and we talked a little bit last week uh, with regard to Haneda stuff. Or maybe I don't I, on our episode, but not on the one I did with you. And uh, about uh, Hawaiian basically saying Japanese demand is down because they can't afford to come anymore. So right, demand is limited, but not entirely. Right, and I don't know. I mean, is it? I should know this, but the, I don't think their 788 is like uh, an international premium economy, is it? Like a yeah, two three two. So yeah, okay, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a real premium economy. It's not just yeah. right. So this, so then when you add that in, it's like from a pricing standpoint, I would imagine that. So now you're talking about filling 48 premium seats on that plane. Yeah, oof. I, I that it would surprise me if they were able to fill that with paying customers on an ongoing basis. If you told me that, because I mean, I think there are a bunch of people. Because you're talking Dallas to Kono's. Uh, seven hours seven and a half yeah sure. ish yeah yeah um i mean going there they're probably going to be daytime flights so like less need for the wi-fi for people who are willing to pay a premium are they is it a red eye back probably i haven't yeah double checked but yeah yeah but yeah. Yes, yeah just meant that, I, I mean maybe it's just because this is all they have but that that feels like a plane that's going to be underutilized on that route yeah but they don't fly anywhere else ed they've <laughs> they've given up on international so I just, uh, yeah, sure, but I, you're right. I, it just feels like if from Dallas, there's got to be some place in South America or Europe that you could put this thing on that likely gets um, that likely gets you higher yields. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, they don't they don't get very adventurous. Um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. Uh, it, even the Brisbane one, I'm, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see if they need to block seats, right? Like we've talked, I think a little bit. United from time to time has to block seats on its Houston to Sydney flight, and that's also a seven eight nine. 
Uh, it's 300 miles longer, but uh, when you're in the middle of the Pacific, maybe that's, you know, those 300 miles may not count as much. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's uh, weight restrictions on that route. Yeah, I mean, is that, I, I don't really, I, I haven't thought about it. Is Brisbane, is that going to be a good cargo route for them or is it going to be mostly just passengers? I don't know, so I'll assume passengers. Yeah, I would too. I can't think of anything specifically that um, that comes to mind. And, is there, you know, is there really is there really a reason to fly? Like, why? What is the driver for them to fly Brisbane? Like, I I don't because I don't this it's you know the map they produced for this shows the joint venture with Qantas. So they're trying to fill the different routes here and there. I think this lets the pair, the JV, connect more people to Brisbane from the eastern and southern United States that don't have to go to LA and fill up a Qantas plane. Yeah. And then Qantas can fill up West Coast on their LA service and uh make that work. And then you know, I I think it's sort of balancing that out. Right. You know does does, does Qantas level, have enough does Qantas have enough onward flow from Brisbane? I don't know what Qantas's short haul out of Brisbane would be in right like at that point wouldn't you want them to be on a three eighty if you're just taking onward connections and do that via LA rather than the American flight to via DFW. But again, it depends on where they're connecting to. Right. And um, so I think that, yes, I think there'll be some of that, which gives them a better position than like say United, which had to scale back its Brisbane expansion a little bit this past winter, but it's right. But they are bringing it back to next winter. So um, maybe not quite as much, but it's uh, it'll be an, that's a fun market. I, you know, I love the sort of trans-Pacific U S Australia market is always, it's one of those that sort of seems like Florida unlimited demand from the Northeast. Yeah. But it's way fewer planes and uh, way more expensive to try to gamble on. Yeah. In fairness, I don't know all of these airport codes, but I'm not seeing a ton of onward um, destinations for Qantas. WLG. Wellington. That's New Zealand. Uh, POM. Port Moresbury. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've got Narita, um, Singapore, uh, HIR. That one I don't know. Uh, they've got. HIR is Guadalcanal. Fun. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. They've yeah. got a handful of destinations. Uh, right, a handful, but I mean, like, you I'm would hope that. Would... I mean, they... Christchurch. Yeah, and no, I'm looking now. I see 6,000 flights in the month of November across uh, maybe round trips. So that's both directions. Um, still, uh, I'm looking at like 30 or 40 destinations. Some of those are, you know, Narita's obviously not a viable option. But, it's 30, 30 or four destinations for Qantas or BN or Brisbane Airport. Brisbane Qantas. Wow. Okay. Then whatever chart I'm looking at is missing a lot of those. So. Um. Yeah. So Adelaide, Albury, Auckland, Apia, which is offshore. Um. A lot of very small cities I've never heard of in Australia. Bundaberg, yeah, Canberra, Cairns, Blackall, Queensland, Bundaberg, uh, Townsville, yeah. Can Darwin. Maybe it's just O and D traffic going to see Bluey. Check please. Sweet. Gladstone, Emerald. Yeah, definitely some place I haven't heard of here. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was thinking of yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess, I mean, yeah, and I, I understand that, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I, it just feels like, it, it feels like if you were going to do this, why not do it to Sydney to fortify that? I would imagine that there's more, that there's more demand onward from Sydney than there is from Brisbane. Yeah, 30 destinations are served in the month of November, I just randomly picked, uh, as domestic options from brisbane on Qantas. uh yeah i think i i see what you're saying about sydney and i think though this comes back to that the thing i was mentioning before is part of it will be onward connections but part of it will be smaller planes that are better total trip costs and they can get more people direct where they're going and they get to brag about having more destinations and it sort of balances sure. up maybe a little bit 
It, it's funny because I have a coworker who's has an Australian wife and they were going home to visit family and the only seats they could find were to Melbourne. And then they had to go to Northern Australia, North, Northeastern Australia. So for them, it was like really out of the way. Um, but you know, just interesting things like yeah. that. So, Australian geography is weird. Yeah. It's a big country. Um, it is. Yeah. Frontier airlines wants more business passengers. When you say more business passengers, any, I, that's a, I think that's a better word. As you could say, they want business passengers. Um, Yes. The, the, so I think, the, and then you, you raise a good point here about the, a distinction we could draw between them and Spirit uh, that I think we've talked a little bit about before, which is when they go into markets, Frontier has a habit of going in less than weekly frequencies, uh, more, not haphazard, but intermittent schedules, very much focused on uh, demand fluctuations that happen sort of with spring break or ski season or things like that. Uh, Spirit had historically tried to get itself into business markets and admittedly is losing money doing it, but uh, right, like multiple times a day for some routes out of DFW or Detroit kind of thing, attacking other airline hubs and trying to pick up some very cost conscious business travelers, but with a schedule that actually lets you have business travel. Um, well, and, and now, yeah, go ahead. No, good. I was say, and now Frontier has added a new option to try to appeal even further to that market, which is what they're calling biz fares, which is a fair bundle package that they have similar to whatever their other packages are. They have cute names for them, but this one actually includes flexibility on the ticket, uh, plus a preferred seat and a carry on bag, you know, everything your low rent or low budget business traveler needs. Well, and it's also, it's also only available, um, through a GDS, uh, like a, through a business, tra- through a travel agency, not via Expedia or elsewhere. Or on their direct website. I think they have a, you can apply to be a small business and have a direct sales sort of portal on their website. Yeah, I, would, I, I, I believe you. I, I think that the, the, I mean, a couple of things. I, like, first off, I would say, we discussed this on Miles to Go this past week. It hasn't dropped yet. Um, so, um, I like, this feels like they're selling Frontier 100K status for a flight. Based on like the, those are like the rough package you're talking about with fares that start at like 125, 130 bucks, something like that. Yeah. Um, the things that puzzled me about this are okay, like you're not making it available for somebody like me who's a small business owner and isn't going to necessarily go through an agency and probably isn't going to take the time to like set up my own account. Um, unless you make it like disgustingly easy. And then the, the like in theory, like airline that needs business is looking for these customers has to understand to some degree that business customers are stickier than leisure if you you know if you service them in a reasonable way so why not couple this with some sort of accelerated earning structure to get them to status quicker so you can try and make them a sticky customer does it come with 10 points per dollar which is the same as everybody else is it i thought they okay i thought there was something they put in there about the earning rate that was supposed to be special but i don't think yeah the way i looked at it it did not look like it was a special earning rate and so i just sort of was like huh like that seemed like an easy ad because yeah. somebody who just does it once, your 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 incremental cost is zero because the points likely expire. So you're really just trying to induce them to book the fourth, the fifth, the tenth. Yeah, no, you're right. It is just the same ten, so a minimum of ten x, which means if you already have, if you otherwise have status, which to be fair, the company sells from time to time. They're a good friend of ours, but or mine, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, and so like I think um, so the other side of this too is I think as you you know because we've I think we talked about it potentially on dots lines i've bought their you know like all you can eat pass a couple of times as a business traveler and 
have used them periodically as, um, you know, a discount carrier where I had, you know, a more reliable backup option. So like, you know, I'd have a United, like I take a flight, you know, Cincinnati to Denver, but I'd have a backup on, on United. And if I could fly the frontier flight, it was disgustingly cheap. And so I saved a bunch of money. And if something went sideways, I, you know, was going to pay United a lot of money anyway. Um, so like, I think there's appeal here. I just, I really think, I don't think they did themselves any services by gating these fares. Yeah. Do you, I mean, have you I was very, I too was very excited. And I was like, wait, cause like I have had times where I needed, I've, even with spirit, the one thing I'll say about this one is like, you can just get a credit back with, uh, with frontier where spirit, you have to have a, you can buy a upgrade that lets you change your flight. But when you're ready to make the change, like, okay, what do you want to rebook for? I'm like, I don't know yet. Like, well, you have to rebook now to keep the credit and you have to do it on spirit. You had to do it more than 24 hours before departure. Frontier lets you do it up till departure time. I, I, I learned a couple interesting things about spirit last night that we could talk about in a minute. I was shocked by both of them, but yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. So just little things like that. Like I was trying to use it. The schedule was vaguely convenient, but the, and the price was certainly right, but the flexibility I need and even, you know, jet blue offers like, you know, for an extra hundred bucks ish, depending on the fare, you can get it flexible or refundable. Like, Spirit sort of protested that I would have paid it because even with the extra hundred, it was a better deal for my customer, but I couldn't, I couldn't, it wasn't right. You know, and it had a, a good thing because the trip ended up canceling, but, um, I tried. So Steve, Steve, were you getting ready to say something about this? I was, I was wondering, like, have you actually used the frontier fares you've bought Ed? I have no, not enough to make it quote unquote worth my while. I still think like I didn't buy the most recent version for this year. Just cause yeah. I think my, I think my travel patterns and their schedule for the places I need to go are not as conducive. Um, but I think, you know, I got close uh, and I think I got close enough given, you know, like what I knew the potential risk level was and what, what would have pushed it over the edge would have been if I could have squeezed even one uh, family flight because then I get, you know, bags and seats for four people. And that was sort of like, I kind of figured that was roughly what was going to be my, you know, money maker on that was okay. Like if the family goes to Orlando or some other sun destination and I get to use that for a family of four, well, that value would, would, easily eat up um the cost but you know i used it a handful of times and it was fine i think you know i still i still struggle with the fact that they don't have wi-fi yeah yeah, yeah. it's a you know that's a tough nut to get over i think for me it's the weird schedules like okay you fly tuesday wednesday saturday to portland to denver like that right. doesn't help me you know so um but what were you going to say you learned some things about about frontier i'm interested now uh, spirit actually. Um, oh, spirit. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I had we have an employee um whose whose mother wasn't doing well, and so we flew him to go be with his mom during some surgery that she was going to have. And um, you know, at sur- as the surgery turned out, like he was going to be he's supposed to be flying home this morning, and um, you know, they wanted to wait for some test results, so he wanted to hang out another couple of days. And we had bought I'd, I'd anticipated this, so I bought their flight flex option. Yeah. Which, um, and so um, when he like he doesn't travel a ton, and so he didn't. Yeah, I told him like, let me know 24 hours ahead of time, um, and he didn't, and and he already checked in, and he's like, hey, is there any way I can move this flight two days? I'm like, uh, well, you've made it as difficult as humanly possible, but let me try. Um, so I tried uh, the website chat, which aired out. Um, I tried text chat, which was able to get me to uncheck him in, and then I went to go rebook the flight um, within 24 hours, and the website wouldn't let me, but it gave a phone number that I could call, and I was expecting them to tell me no on hold for 30 minutes and two very interesting things happened. First off, the woman's like, yes, let me put you on hold for a minute or two. It was an overseas call center. And she very quickly came back and said, yes, no problem. We can still change the flight, even though it was within 24 hours, which I assume was what she put me on hold for was just to check with someone. And then the Super Bowl is next week in Vegas. So prices are starting to go up. 
Um, mm. This flight happened to be cheaper, um, but the big front seat was I pre- I pre purchased the big front seat for him for like a hundred and something dollars because this was a you know fairly long flight. It's Tampa to Las Vegas, um, and it was like a hundred and ten dollars or something like that. So I, I thought it was a reasonable value for yeah. what, this probably four hour flight. Um, but because we're get leading in a Super Bowl week, pretty much everything's going up and premium cabins for sure. It was $457 for the last big front seat in the cabin. And I just assumed when she got on the phone with me, she was going to tell me like, I can't, you know, you're like, I'll have to move you back to exit row or something like that, which, you know, I was perfectly fine with it. She's like, yes, yes. Let me check. Okay. Yep. There's still one big front seat left on that flight. We'll just go ahead and move you. Wow. And we'll, and we'll give you a credit. So she issued a credit for the, the base flight was like a hundred something dollars cheaper. And she just put me in the four, put him in the four hundred fifty dollars big front seat when I had only paid a hundred something for it, and I was just sitting there dumbfounded, going like, "Really, you just did that? Like somebody's going to get you in trouble for that?" They're definitely losing hundreds of million dollars a quarter, so that explains some things. <laughs> it was it, it was great service, but wow, yeah, it was much more flexible than I was expecting. And yeah. so I don't know, like it's it's a sample size of one, um, but if you told me that's how flight flex worked every time, I mean that adds more value. You'd be to like me. done. <laughs> Maybe not done, but like, I already booked Spirit a couple times a year. Um, you know, maybe even a little bit more than that. So, anyway, like knowing that I'm now locking in my price for the big front seat for a change. I mean, that's you know, and the and and that the flight flex actually works. I mean, a little bit of pain in the butt to have to call and wait and all that, but yeah. I was reasonably surprised and you know pleased. Good to know. I mean, like I said, I've used it before, and the, having to pick the new flight at the time of change was not a deal breaker, but pissed me off. And like. Even with status, when you had the flight flex, like you only got the one change and you couldn't buy it on your new one, like you couldn't. Right. Really, which I understand trying to avoid abuse, but like I'll pay the twenty bucks again to have the flexibility in the future, but they wouldn't let me. So anyway. it could have been something. It could have just been something in terms of her, you know, non mastery of the English language. But she did ask me. She said, um, "Do you have a flight picked out at this point or not?" Um, which sort of intimated yeah. that I could not pick. I thought yeah. same you, or if you were going to say, "Well, then I can't do anything for you. Good luck." Yeah, yeah, could 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 be. So anyway, um, all right, let's get moving because we're taking forever here. Okay, blind um, passengers screwed by airline forms. This is just a quick aside. Uh, remember when uh, uh, emotional support animals got banned on airlines like 2020? Yeah. Yep. One of the side effects of that was that uh, passengers were expected to fill out a form with the airline explaining every time they were going to bring a service animal on board. Most airlines went with PDFs online. Oh, that's great. Uh, fillable PDFs, even fillable PDFs, turn out don't work with screen readers. Oh, so if you're blind, you can't actually fill out a fillable PDF with most common technologies. And also, like, they only work on certain platforms. The screen readers only work on certain OSs. Like, you sort of need a full desktop or laptop, not a tablet or iPhone or mo- mobile device. Like, there's, there's some weird stuff I, I'm skimming over pretty quickly. But the short of it is a bunch of blind passengers were being, like, denied boarding with their St. I dogs. And the, and the airlines couldn't figure this out? And, like, one of them was like, I chatted with you. You said it was okay. And now I'm at the gate. And you're saying no. And if after fighting with an hour got on board, one of them was denied boarding. Like they came, you know, not surprisingly with the volume of how much this stuff happens, uh, the National Federation for the Blind came up with a handful of people that have been screwed by this in real life, plus the implied number of blind people who you are disenfranchising who can't fly now because the risk of this, they're not willing to accept that. Um, And so they're going to the DOT and asking for some sort of exemption that allows the form to either be not required if you show up obviously blind or something else. But I thought this was, I hadn't thought about it. This is sort of the unintended consequences of fixing a big problem by sort of requiring certain uh, things that no one fully thought through. So good times. Why couldn't they just, I mean, why can't you just have an agent, phone agent fill it out for them? Yeah. That, that I, would don't be know. 
I like that they're like we're people are going to call us. Well, I like that their exception is we we where people are obviously blind. What? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm saying that that one of the one of the cases cited in the request is had the term obviously blind in it. But anyway, yeah, you'd think that these things should be easy, and yet airlines, man, Um, Aeromexico is going to not start some routes that were previously announced this summer. Uh, transporter routes. This is tied to, we talked last week uh, about the Delta Aeromexico joint cooperation agreement being kiboshed by the feds because U.S. airlines are being screwed at uh, the airport, Mex- Mexico City's main airport. Yep. So uh, Delta has, of course, requested the opportunity to appeal this decision and asked for four weeks to write their appeal. And the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has supported their four-week plan. Uh, no airlines objected to the four weeks. So they're going to get their four weeks, it seems, probably to write up a, no, no, really, this is good for everybody, even though uh, competition at Mexico City, which was the main factor in whether you're going to approve us or not, got worse. We definitely should get to keep this. And then the government's going to take six months to read the four-week review? Yeah. Ironically, it's a bunch of routes from Monterey that got canceled as a result. Uh, so that happened. And then Southwest announced new seats. Ricaros. The Ricaro. My favorite. BL3710, which is the mid-range Recaro economy class seat, uh, six-way headrest, or multi, multi-headrest, multi I'm not sure it has the all six options, but it's got you know, the wings that are flexible and whatnot, uh, tablet holder, PED holder in your seat back, the USB-A and USB-C up at eye level. That's a, that's a positive. Yeah. USB-C is so clutch on those planes. Yeah. Um, and... One of the nice things is they also announced as part of this that they are going, uh, new overhead bins also. Um, they are going to be retrofitting the overhead bins and power on the 737 800s, the older generation of 8s and the Max in, the Max 8s that were delivered without them so far. Um, they're going to install power. Initially, the announcement was only for new planes, and they've decided to go back and install the power and the bins on those older planes. So that's a nice one, too. Yeah. And- I'm not a fan of the Ricaro seat. I mean, I think we've talked about it, but I think Ed brought, but when we were talking pre-show, Ed brought up a good point. Is there, is there a good coach seat these days? Yeah. I mean, I think, so the only thing I would say, and I'm more of my experience is on United than on any other airline. T- typically what I found with United's version is that once the pleather sort of breaks in a little bit, the seat is a bit more comfortable. They're, you know, they're very stiff when they're new. Yeah. Um, I haven't flown American or Southwestern or the others enough to know if they break in quite the same way because it's just a, a handful of flights on each airline per year. But on the United, like it's like when you can start to see a little bit of wear on the seat, it it really feels to me like they're more comfortable though. Yeah, and that's a, it's a tough one because right, you like you don't want them to wear out because then you have to replace them. Right, but you do need it to break in a little bit and like the different layers of the material because there's a whole lot that goes in the engineering of those things. But they're not; it's all synthetic. Um. Actually, I wonder if I get mad on to talk about some of that stuff. I know a guy. I know the guy who makes the fabric or sells mm. the fabric, um, the synthetic fabrics that makes these things. He's a pretty a, a reliable drinking buddy at trade shows. So I can see if I get him to talk about this some. <laughs> so I, I've I flew on United. I don't know when we were coming back from Europe. So it's been a few weeks. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, domestically, and I had a I had a plane with the old Recaro seats, the old ones, like when the old three? Continental Seven Three Nine. No, no, no. The gray Airbus seats. The original, the really super thin ones. Oh, with the net on the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, I thought they got rid of all. Like, I thought they replaced all these seats. It was bizarre. 
I haven't seen one of those in a while. What do, what type of plane was it? Was it Air, it's a 320? 320, I think, or maybe a 319. Okay, so if it was a 319, this came up the other day. There are a handful of 319s with just the two rows of first class still flying. Was it a two-row first class cabin? You remember, remember, remember? I don't remember. I could probably go and find out, but I, I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. yeah, they have them mostly isolated on route. Like, I, So that's a plane that I see pretty typically if I have to route to Reno through San Francisco. They fly that a lot, like San Francisco, Reno or Denver, Reno or you know th- those sorts of segment lengths where I guess maybe they don't feel like there's enough premium capacity into a place like Reno to fill more than two rows of first class. It's I don't see them a ton. It's usually you know, if there's like three Denver, Reno's a day or four Denver, Reno's a day, one of them. So there aren't many left in the fleet. OK, yeah, they they were still existed as of a couple of months ago. I, I caught one. Oh, I got to tell you, the phrase Denverino sounds really cool. <laughs> Sorry. It's the only value I can add to that part of the conversation. Hey, you talk about me slowing things down. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to talk about? No? We got we got JetBlue trying to jump out new revenue. Um, a global rant? I'm guessing that's from Ed. No, or me. Oh. I mean, I can join in too, but I, I plan to roll over. Only if, I'm pretend- only if I'm pretending to be Foz. Okay. And then uh, some... Preclearance news that that Ed teased earlier, and that's all in the bonus topics. So, if you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around for that. If not, thanks for listening and supporting the show, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. See you later. Yeah, dang it, we screwed that up again. I guess. And reluctantly.